when can I expect some change? Within six hours. That's when the first physical change is noted. As for the mental change, none of the rats or guinea pigs have told me what the feeling was. I'll be the first. You'll be the first? Assuming that you survive. You want to know something, Raymond? I'm not only going to survive, I'm going to be young again. I can feel it. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. Uh, I am Paul. And hey guys, it's Terry here. I'm so, I, no, it's 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 Big Daddy. That's who that is. Please don't call me that. <laughs> and, <laughs> unless I am in an actual Big Daddy suit. Okay, I just you know, unless later that you end up being like a father that just loves like um you know uh, the carbs. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Terry is not Big Daddy, but there is a Big Daddy in this episode. So we're going to be talking about a short drink from a certain fountain, season five, episode eleven. Hope you enjoyed our discussion last week about the seventh is made up of phantoms. Uh, the seventh is made up of guys talking about things that happened. So whatever. Anyway, um, and this at least this one something happens on screen. We'll give it that, right? Yeah, fair statement. There you go. So, all right. Uh, so, uh, air date for this this episode was December thirteenth, nineteen sixty three. Uh, number one song, Dominique by the Singing Nun. Um, I listened to this. It's like it's it's very of its time, and it's actually like number one song for a few weeks. I bet you, if, if, if Terry, if you sit down and listen to this, you'd be like, okay, I, I what Wes Anderson film is this from? Because that's what it sounds like. See, I don't know this song, and I I've never heard of this group. So I mean, well, it's it's a singing nun. It isn't like that. It isn't like a, a nun. It, yeah, it's a nun. You know, like it isn't. Oh, like I a, thought this was like a punk rock thing where they're <laughs> like, let's make it something super obscure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In the '60s with the singing nun, it'd be N O N E. You know, no, it's no, it's a nun, and it's very, very uh, upbeat and light. Um, but I'm, if you heard it, it'd be like, yeah, it's like, what was it? Was this a? You know, it feels like it feels like a Wes Anderson film, right? Anyway, so number one film, uh, charade or charade. I think it's charade. Um, I, I have to report in, I, I, I teased this to Terry before we started recording. Um, it was like, what was it? Sunday night. I don't know. Like you ever get to those points to where like your brains is kind of flat and you don't know what to do. So you're like, I'll watch a movie. And then you just kind of like, you just pick something like, not that I'm saying I picked this at random, but, uh, you know, normally I, I, I usually, um, when I'm trying to find something that I don't want to think too hard about, I tend to go towards more genre stuff. Um, but I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll watch this. Cause this has kind of popped up a couple times in our show. And this has been described as the best, uh, Hitchcock film he never made. I, I watched it. It is quite wonderful. Um, it's not, not, not something I typically check out, but I'm glad I did. Like here, here, I'll, I'll tease this to you, Terry, uh, George Kennedy, you know him, 
uh, from The Naked Gun. He was Frank Drebin's sidekick. Uh, Hook Hand. Put those two together. That's in this movie. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm cl- I'll. I'll. Uh, I'll bite. <laughs> yeah, uh, James Coburn playing a guy named Tex with a Texas accent, as you know, like a Texan accent, and it is the most lighthearted, fun, like thriller romp involving like very like sudden like images of murder and um like stolen Nazi money like i don't know like it's a weird animal like it's very much of its time in the sense that it's like we could have like this like this thing where a woman uh she she just lost her husband and all these guys are like trying to chase her down for this money that she doesn't know that she has or may not have and you don't know who to trust and there's some like pretty like when death shows up on the screen it's sometimes kind of you know kind of upsetting and how like I don't know. You weren't expecting like some of the blood being shown in this film, but it's like, and then it's kind of comes right back to like a snappy love story with like quick dialogue and like, it's all throughout like Paris and yeah, it's a, uh, it's an interesting film of its time, but I can see why it was popular. Cause it was, it's a, it's a really fun movie. Okay. Yeah. I, I definitely check it out. Um, it kind of reminds me of some of the, the Giallo films that I like. I mean, maybe, I mean, there's just like some of the, when I say some of the deaths happen, like there's a couple, couple like brief shots of like when like a stabbing happens or like, you know, strangulation, they actually show like the aftermath it's for just a few seconds. Right. But they don't shy away from what happened. And it's like, you know, the way the rest of this film kind of is like a lark. That's surprising that it doesn't like the, the tone. I don't know. It's just, it's a cool movie. Um, it has a Audrey Hepburn in it and, uh, uh, Gregory Peck and their rapport is like, th- like their chemistry is lights out. Like there's, there's some really fun bits to it, but just George Kennedy and hook hand. Like I, once I realized they had a hook for a hand, I'm like, I don't know what's going on in the rest of this movie, but I need to finish it. Yeah. I'm definitely going to put that on my list of, uh, that my ever growing list of films that I have to watch. Yeah. Well, it's, so. it's available in prime and also too, it actually it's public domain because they didn't do the copyright correctly with it when it was originally published, much like Night of the Living Dead. Like, some of the title cards didn't actually have the appropriate um, copyright information. So it is, it, it, there's so many versions of it out there now, meaning people can just re-release it. But it is on Prime right now for free. So if not, it's also like on the Internet Archive, I believe. Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely check that out. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a cool movie. And it, it, it also moves along a pretty good clip, too. Like, it isn't like one of those ones where you just feel like it's just like dialogue on dialogue, which it is. But it's just, you know, awesome. So anyway, just want to let you guys know that I actually watched a movie that was number one at the time that this episode came out. Um, so, all right. So day and date. Uh, I didn't have anything for the 13th, but on the 14th. Um, on, uh, so at three 38 in the afternoon, an earthen dam gave away sending 1 million cubic meters. This is 300 gallons, 300 million gallons of uh, water from a, a reservoir, uh, down into the Los Angeles suburb of Baldwin Hills, California, more than four hours earlier, the dam's caretaker reported an unusual amount of water flowing over the spillway and notified, um, the LA department of water resources and like the engineers and safety officials. Uh, evacuations of the suburb of the 16,000 um, plus people began while an attempt was made to slow the leakage. Uh, by 1.30 uh, in the morning, sorry, in the afternoon, a one-fifth inch wide crack in the wall began to widen. By 1.45, the gap had increased to three inches and the downstream side of the dam began to leak at two o'clock. By 3.15, the break had widened to nearly 10 feet and the dam burst 23 minutes later. More than 200 homes were destroyed, but because of the evacuation, only five people were killed in the disaster. So, 
you know, normally we'll, we'll find like weird, horrible things that happen. And this is still horrible, but because like someone was doing their job and noticing like only five people died as opposed to who could have been on those 200 homes. This is something that I, I researched as well for the day and date. And, uh, they built that dam right on a fault line. So that's actually <laughs> Good <call>. why. <laughs> Good call. Yeah. Two, 277 homes. Like just imagine that kind of devastation. It's crazy. Cause, uh, I mean, I, I think there's a hell of a lot more, uh, research done about where they put dams now and it's probably because of this yeah right well like i grew up in the shadow of a dam um uh, back home in in west virginia like we and what i mean by a shadow it's like you know we were below it so if you know if anything was to happen we would have been like one of the first houses to go and in 85 there was like these torrential like rains and like flooding in the area and they had this like this dam like you know all all the locks were open like trying to get like the water in our lake down um, but they, they said something like it was like five, 10 feet, um, like from spilling over the top and they actually have a marker still on the backside of the dam showing like the high it had been in 85 and you look at it, you're like, that's not that far away from the top of this thing. So yeah, terrifying. Yeah. I, I would be, especially after hearing some of these kinds of stories and that, cause this isn't the first dam that, uh, uh, broken either so like i would never move over by a dam like even all the things that ever happened on the 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 shores of the mississippi and that i would never move by the mississippi river like i'm afraid i'm terrified of water so yeah (laughs) well well, floodplains are very interesting just because like they need to function as a floodplain but man's like but we like the water it's like we're gonna move near it's like well what happens when the the floodplain goes into i don't know a floodplain (laughs) yeah seems kind of odd to me yeah. I'll tell you one thing, you wouldn't find Terry's ass over there. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, so there you go. That was what I got for uh, for for day and date. So I don't know if you have anything else. No, that was actually the one that stuck out to me. Okay, so let's get into our cast and crew, which there is some controversy about this. I'm teasing that here. We'll get to this in a second. Okay, so our director on this episode is uh, first and last episode for Mr. Bernard Gerard. Um, he did, uh, one episode of Playhouse 90 and he did some like Alfred Hitchcock, uh, presents and hour. So that's all I really had for him. Yeah. That's all I got too. All right. So our writer, which, uh, obviously, uh, you're itching to talk about this. <laughs> so the information I could find was, uh, the story was written by Lou Holtz, um, who, uh, for anything I could find, he did a bunch of, uh, stage plays, but I didn't really find any other information about him. Oh, okay. So here, here's the controversy, right? So, um, which I think they, they, they credited the, the, the person with the story idea is Lou Holes, H O L Z on the, on the episode. Right. But then you go to every like, um, IMDB Wikipedia, it says Lou Holtz. And I'm like, and it's like, did you mean the Michigan coach? I'm like, wait, he wrote a story. That's not true. Um, so you're right. Uh, Lou, the, the, the person you're talking about, uh, did make their bones in vaudeville. And George Burns described this guy as like one of his favorite comedians. So this guy is actually like pretty successful as comedian, uh, you know, was on the Merv Griffin show in his eighties like this. He was a staple, right? Um, I don't think this is the guy that wrote the episode. And so according to, uh, the twilight zone, unlocking the door to a television classic by Martin Graham's jr. Um, I'm going to read this last paragraph about the episode. So just bear with me here. 
There was some, th- oh, this is also one of those episodes, I guess, here's another teaser. You know how, like, Miniature was, like, taken out of, like, rotation because of pe- people saying, hey, you took my idea? This is one of those ones, too, that um, was shelved after its initial airing until, like, the 80s because of the such things. So, anyway, so the, the paragraph starts off this way. Uh, Sterling never stole anyone's idea for this episode, which was based on an unpublished story idea titled Ah Youth by Lewis Holes. Holes was a chief of security, uh, was a chief of security review at the Air and Research Development Command in Los Angeles. He had submitted a few stories to Kayaga Productions, which is Sterling's production company, in October of 60. And after a brief discussion regarding the Odyssey of Flight 33, um, Sterling purchased Ah Youth in good faith and the hopes that one day he might be able to compose a teleplay adapted from the unpublished story. So you tell me, is it from somebody that, you know, Sterling had talked to and had an unpublished story and was submitted to him and he turned it into this or a guy that was a vaudeville comedian that did a lot like, you know, that never wrote a story. I, you know, I don't know, man. It, it, it there's, who cares, really? Because no, I, I think. No, that, I mean, you're right, but it's just like, I think, you know, I think the record needs to be straight. It's like this, the, 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 the one they keep crediting, like, like all, like the, like the internet is pointing towards this guy who had a very successful career as like in vaudeville and comedy. But if you look at his IMDb, he doesn't, he has like three written by credits. And one of these is this episode. The other two are like, like he's not an established writer. And this isn't like, this isn't, in his purview. I'm not saying that he doesn't like not capable of doing it. I mean, for goodness sakes, um, uh, Hugh Hefner pitched some ideas to Serling, right? For his Twilight Zone episodes. Oddly enough, with a tasteful amount of nudity, that's not true. But, um, you know, like, you know, anyway, I was going to make another joke about Playboy and I just, I'm not going to do that now because I ran out of ideas. I just believe that, uh, I think that that statement about this other guy being like, I was in contact with, uh, with Serling cause, um, when Sterling wrote the the Odyssey of Flight 33, he wrote that with his his brother. Um, uh, I think his brother's name is um, Rob Sterling, because uh, he's an aviator. So when they say that he talked to Holes, who was like a guy at, at an aviation place, that kind of lines up with me that he stumbled across while doing research for one episode that he talked to this guy. He was like, I have a story that's unpublished. What do you think? I guess that makes sense. Uh, I... I I, I, I do agree with you that uh, Mr. Holtz didn't seem like he would have been the guy that would have given up a story to um, to Rod Serling on this. And maybe it was just like that other that other person that contributed the story. But I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's hard to say because I, I think this 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 episode there isn't too much to it. There's there's not a whole lot here, and I hate to say that, but. I think it's a very simplistic story. Oh, at least no, then that's fair. I just, um, and, and no, you're absolutely right. I just, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. And, and I also want to point out to the other Holtz, the one that was the comedian, just because I was doing my research, his son, Lou Holtz Jr., wrote The Cable Guy. So that has nothing to do with this, but I was like, huh, that's weird. Um, but yeah, I think, I honestly think it's this other guy who was working at like this, uh, you know, this um, aeronautical place that was working with Rod, uh, Rod Serling's brother. I just, that feels more in line because Serling has gotten story inspirations from uh, like he, he norm, people would walk up to him and be like, I got a story idea. And he would not normally take things like handed to him, like physically, like he'd have them submitted to Kyoga and that they'd, they'd vet it. Um, the episode I shot an arrow into the air. Um, he uh, was, he was at a party and uh, one of the dinner guests was like, Hey, you know, 
what if you had a story about astronauts that thought they were traveling to another planet, but their ships crashed in like the Nevada desert and they're like right outside Reno. And he's like, I'll give you money for that idea right now. Like it, it, it can happen. So, um, and much like uh, I shot an order there. I don't know about the results of this episode. Cause I did not like that one. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember you not liking that. episode no, at all. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, anyway, so that's, that's what I, f- I found out about that. And then, you know, I don't know about Lou Holtz and his affinity for, um, tasteful nudity. I just want to just put that out there. I just want to finish that joke. So yeah, that's who we, that's what we got here. That's who I have. Uh, that was the story attribution and then Serling did the, the, the teleplay. Yeah. That's uh, so, yeah. And we'll see a lot more from Serling coming, coming up this season. So yeah, he, he's a workhorse. Um, so into our cast we go. Uh, Patrick O'Neill is our first actor here. Uh, he plays Harmon. Um, he did some night gallery and he was in the movie, the Seagal, uh, Steven Seagal film under siege. Yeah. And have him. Sorry, go ahead, please. Yeah. And that's all really. I, I recognize. Oh, really? Okay. You're going to kick yourself here. I got two, got two for you. Uh, one, the Stepford wives, uh, and two, which I know you're going to be like, man, I know of it, but I've not seen it, which same here. The other one, this is where you're going to kick yourself. The stuff. He was in the stuff. He was in the stuff. Get the hell out of here. How did I miss that? That pisses me off. I'm mad now. Yeah. Uh, somebody's going to revoke my card as a horror film fan for not knowing Someone's going to be like, you know, you guys got the, the Holtz thing wrong, but shame on Terry for not realizing that O'Neill was in the stuff. Oh, That's my what's God. I, yeah. I'm ashamed. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to everybody <laughs> who knows me, who knew me fondly. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, there it is. Wow. He was Fletcher. I'm, I'm an idiot. Here, this, this is, here, Here's how I'm going to cover all this up. Both of them. Sober, reliable, the best men. There you go. So that guy says we're reliable and sober. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, we got our crud back. Yeah. We got- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Rejuvenated. There you go. Um, uh, who do we have next? All right. So ne- next, uh, so we had a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a confusion on how to pronounce this name. I'm going to give him my best shot. Ruda. I think it's Ruda. Lee. Yeah. I think it's Ruda. Ruda. It's a weird name. So, uh, Ruta Lee plays uh, Flora in this episode. Um, lots of TV work, including three episodes of Hawaiian Eye. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, my goodness. What? Okay, there we go. Um, now your card's rejected. Oh, man. <laughs> man. What do I, what, okay, what do I got to do to get uh, where are we at? Let's see. What about this? Mm. Okay, that's going to cover that up. Uh, so, right, cool. what I have here for her, she was uh, in Playhouse 90. Uh, did a lot of TV and voice work. And then also in 64, she called uh, uh, Nikita Khrushchev, the, the Soviet premier, asking him to pardon her grandmother, uh, who had been in a tournament camp in Siberia since World War II. Um, the pardon was granted. Her grandmother uh, came to live with her in California for, for two years till she passed away. And then um, Lee again rescued a relative from the former Soviet Union when she uh, got custody of her 18-year-old cousin from Lithuania in 87. So good on her. You know, um, and I have some quotes about her later in regards to um, like the, her acting. I have a quote that's really funny. Uh, but yeah, I didn't realize that she was, uh, you know, in Hawaiian Eye. That's awesome, though. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited you found all that other information about her. Yeah, like, call, that makes call her Khrushchev and be like, hey, I know you're the leader of this other country that we're like we're in a Cold War with. Can I have my grandmother? And he's like, sure. You know, like. And she's still acting. Uh, there's actually uh, something that has been completed that's coming out uh, in su- at some point. Um, yeah. So, yeah, she's still acting. 157 credits on IMDb. Oh, I thought you were saying so. 157 years old. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> no. Oh. 
She's looking great for 157 if that right. was the case. Okay. Well, you know, well, she, maybe she had some cellular serum. We don't know. Uh, right. Um, so and next we have Walter Brook. He plays Dr. Raymond Gordon. Um, this is uh, Harmon's brother here to give more context. Uh, one other episode of Twilight Zone, The Jungle. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate to say it. Um, I'm on a podcast where we cover The Twilight Zone. This is one of the episodes I have not seen. It's a, it's wonderful. It's one of my favorite from season three. Uh, you need to watch that. Like I just, I mean, you know, maybe over time, if you want to, you know, catch up on the things that, you know, up to now, that's fine. But the jungle is a wonderful episode and the ending is great. Um, and there's some trivia there that once you watch it, I'll share it with you that you'll laugh at. But yeah, jungle's great. Uh, he was also in a series in the eighties called auto man, that was like, hey, what if we try to do Tron, but like a really shitty budget? So I'm excited for that. Uh, <laughs> three episodes of The Incredible Hulk, and Terry, this you're gonna you're gonna kick yourself. Uh, are you ready for this? Mm. One episode of The Monsters. Like I just you know I don't know why you didn't see that. Oh, I did see that. I uh, but, I can't, uh, you can't prove it now because I said it first. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you to hell! Um, it's all recorded now. It's it's too late. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that stuck out to me is he did 26 episodes of The Green Hornet. Oh yeah, I and, saw that. I didn't write that down though. Like so, I can't prove it. One episode of Hawaiian Eye. God so. damn it! Okay, so clearly we have uh, at least covered each other's asses through all of this. So that's good. That's good. To yeah, know. <laughs> our minds are getting a little bit more feeble than we thought uh, after oh. all this quarantining and all that. Right. Oh man. So all right. So that's our that's our cast uh, and everybody. Uh, there's you know a teleplay by Serling and somebody else assisted that's debate that could lead that up to history and multiple Hawaiian eye. Um, yeah. So let's just get to Serling's intro, which I want to ask you a question at the, uh, about his, uh, his, his intro, like the way he ends it after we get out of this picture of an aging man who leads his life as Thoreau said in quiet desperation because Harmon Gordon is enslaved by a love affair with a wife, 40 years, his junior because of this, he runs when he should walk. He surrenders when simple pride dictates a stand. He pines away for the lost morning of his life when he should be enjoying the evening. In short, Mr. Harmon Gordon seeks a fountain of youth. And who's to say he won't find it? This happens to be the Twilight Zone. That last sentence of this happens to be the Twilight Zone, you think the pivot had been like, oh, he's trying to find like this thing. And it's like, and he may find it in the Twilight Zone as opposed to, I'm identifying the TV show. Does that seem weird to you? Yeah, I, I didn't really like that little like uh, encapsulation of what the Twilight Zone has to do with this episode. Like, I think he he gets so good sometimes with how he introduces the the episode and like the whole Twilight Zone twist. But this time, I was like, that fell flat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'll say this much though that at least when they when they cut to him, they did the whip pan. At least it looked like he was in the apartment and like not in a forest, like our last episode when he, like everybody was out in like like you know the prairie, and all of a sudden he saw a bunch of trees behind him. Like that would have been funny if it was the same location. But anyway, let's get into a short drink from a certain fountain. So, um, I. The intro to this, the beginning of this episode, is actually kind of unique for me anyway. I don't know how you feel about it, uh, where it is immediately cuts into music and we see Flora uh, readily dancing. Um, I've, I don't think I've ever seen an episode of Twilight Zone just cut in like this. No, I feel like there there should have been 
some more context, but I, I it was I, it was kind of entertaining that it worked out this way. Um, so yeah, like you said, like uh, we get Flora dancing around like an idiot uh, with a drink in her hand. She smashes something. <laughs> but well, like she's uh, dancing, like she waves her arm around, like there's this like like keepsake owl or something, like a ceramic owl on like the counter, and she whips her hand around it and knocks it off. And then the moment she realizes she makes this contact, she kind of just like smirks and shrugs it off because she's like, "Oh, I didn't do that on purpose, but it happened." Yeah, she obviously does not give a shit at this point of what she just broke. So I don't know if it's because she's that liquored up. Um, or, you know, that it didn't mean anything to her at all. So I, I think it's cause she's like kind of liquored up and also because we're going to find out that she is so like, Oh, she believes she's a, like, what was it? A bird in a gilded cage type of thing, you know, like, and she's just stuck in this apartment. And so like you, the, the, whatever, the, whatever has been boiling up for five years is coming out now. Right. So, and then we see Harmon walk in. And she instantly grabs his, him and starts to dance around the the apartment as well. And he gets winded pretty quick, so he uh, he sits down at the bar and he's like, "All right, yeah, that's it for me." Uh, and she's not happy about that. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> I, to say the least. But there's like a weird onslaught of insults that I. I you you kind of have to see it because there's no love in it at all. Like I, I guess if you if somebody was like not into the moment, you'd probably give them a little ribbing. But she is a bitch. She really is like. <laughs> well, I I I'll, just, I'll throw this down. No one in this episode comes out good. Like I'll just say that. Like uh, even Harmon. Like he you know he puts his brother in like an unwinnable position too. You know so. We'll talk about that in a second, but yeah, she is like, we, we pick up because when we see Harmon, uh, he's an older man. Uh, the, the, the makeup's actually pretty good. Like it, it, it works pretty well for its time. Patrick O'Neill is Harmon. He's like this older man. I think it's better than uh, what we saw in of late. I think of Cliffordville with some of the older yeah. makeup there. Um, and she, she wants to like go do things and you get the notion that she is, uh, not necessarily a gold digger, but like gold digger adjacent. Like she was promised a much more active life or show she believed like marrying this older man. And and now that all of that has like failed her apparently, because I I mean, he's an older dude, but I don't know what she expected out of marrying an older guy. Like the, as Rod Serling uh, was saying, like 40 years, uh, her senior, like, what did she expect out of this relationship? I mean, the dude's not going to be like break dancing on the floor. <laughs> so I don't know, but, uh, yeah. So Harmon, he, he's infatuated with her and he, he really wants to make her happy, but he, he doesn't have the energy for it anymore. Yeah. And, and she keeps calling him big daddy, by the way. And I know, I know I called you that at the beginning of the episode, but man, I don't yuck. <laughs> like I, in a way, once we get to the end, it, it kind of twists a little bit, but my God, every time she said it, it's like, nope, I'm out. I'm, I'm done. But I, I wrote this in my notes as bid daddy, which I don't know if that's better or worse. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, it, he won with a big bid. Yeah. Um, I'm like, Oh, my eBay bid daddy. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I just, I, the, the title alone to me is it has such a condescending tone to it because it just makes me think that 
he is paying for her affection. Like the only reason that she's sticking around is because he's got the, you know, he's got the money. Yeah. I, I, so I don't see any love in that title at all. I mean, you call somebody baby, you call him honey or something like that. Big daddy just sounds like either you're just a really jack dude and <laughs> she's looking up to you or you have a lot of money, which obviously he is in that position. So, yeah, it's just, it's odd, but also can we just take a step back? How cool looking was that apartment though? Dude, like, I, I do at the entire time I was thinking, I was like, I wish this could have been my apartment because it had the vaulted ceilings in the one area. And then there's like that reading lounge that's upstairs yeah. with the spiral little, staircase. Yeah, with the little tiny spiral staircase. And then, um, by the way, did you all see how tall that front door is? <laughs> like it is, it is like 12 foot. Like if you go back and watch the episode, that door belongs in like Pee Wee's Playhouse or something. It's huge. But the Maybe that's why he was called Big Daddy. <laughs> yeah. and he just shrank with age. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Shaq wouldn't have to lower his head to walk through that doorway. Uh, but yeah, you got that bar off the side, and like the kitchen behind with like the beaded curtain, like, and you know, you got like the bedroom off to like the left, right? That's a cool apartment. And like, and it's got a balcony and a balcony. Too. Yeah. It's like, I think the true, the true disbelief part of this episode is that apartment's affordable, which I know he's rich, <laughs> but you know, that's a cool apartment. Hell yeah, man. I love that thing. And the bedroom is right off of the living room. So you don't even have to go upstairs or anything. No. If you're, if you gotten crunk. So, <laughs> or if you've danced for five seconds, you can just go to bed. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you found a great spot. Yeah. Uh, so then, um, we like, so we got him like talking about like, you know, him being winded and like talking to his doctor or whatever. And then she just, you know, is like upset immediately because like, you know, basically it's like, Oh, you had to remind me that you're old <laughs> type of thing. It's like, I don't know. Like if this guy, like we used to be harder dust would come out of him. Like, but we get the relationship. We get the dynamic pretty quick. Yeah. And she, uh, she has to keep on reinforcing that she could easily walk away from this relationship too. She said, uh, you know, she could take one of the 14 flights that happen in a day to Reno. It's like, okay, bitch, like take a hike then. I mean, like if the money got you, maybe the money could get somebody else too. that. Maybe the newer model. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, and then that's when we find out like, um, what was it? Uh, that she had like, he saw the keepsake broken and he picks it up and says that was important. And then she belittles that and, and all these things. It's just, you know, like much, much like you, 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 you called your shot before we start recording about, um, how this isn't that far off from uncle Simon with how belligerent one of the characters is with their dialogue and their insults. She is just on, like, she's taking the insult train to a terrible person town, all aboard full steam, just constant. Yeah. And, and, and it's sad that, uh, Harmon is going to have to deal with this. Uh, again, it being a five-year relationship, the guy, the, the dude actually does care about her. You know that, especially for his actions later on in this episode. But the fact that she is so uh, aggressive in insulting him and belittling like where their relationship stands right now, it just, I don't know, it sucks. I feel, I feel for Harmon quite a bit. I mean, I think there's, I think most viewers, if, if they had seen this episode, they would probably be in the same boat as us as being like, dude, like pick yourself up and go find another chick. But I mean, Harmon's Harmon's where we're at right now. And he's going to make some tough decisions. 
Yeah. So then that's when we get to like, he's like, we'll go out to dinner, you know, uh, tonight. And then she makes some kind of like, we'll make it all about you. And we'll do like, you know, like just whatever. It was terrible. And that's when we get him walking into the bedroom and looking at like the photo of her. And that's when we get Serling's intro saying, you know, this is a TV show or whatever. Um, but yeah, that, that's the crux of it. Did you, did you pick up like, so they said they're going out to go out for dinner. Uh, we get Sterling's intro, obviously a commercial break. We come back in and it's like, they're in the apartment and he's immediately walking up the spiral staircase to go to the phone and she's upset. I didn't pick up until the second viewing that they're returning from dinner. Like, I don't know if you picked that up or not. No, I caught it. And okay, I, good. Cause you're smarter than me. Cause I was like, what happened there? Cause she's just belittling him from going up to the staircase to get on the phone. Yeah. I th- th- whatever they had done, it still made him feel like shit. I don't know if like, yeah, wore him out. He was exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. So he goes up and he calls his brother, Raymond, uh, who is a doctor. And he says, you know, he, he needs to talk to him soon. Come on over. So Raymond comes over and, you know, they have a drink. And this is like almost like a lamenting in a sense because Harmon feels like he is not making, um, he's not making his wife happy, but Raymond doesn't like his wife. So like he needs to figure out where the problem needs a solution. Um, so (sighs) It's difficult to be in Raymond's position because he doesn't like he doesn't uh, like Flora at all, but he also loves his brother so much and he wants to try to be there for him. But he tells him, like, dude, you're calling me up too much. Like, I do not want these late night calls anymore. Yeah. And he's also like, you know how I feel about her basically saying she's a gold digger, you know, and, you know, like this whole thing. It's like it's, you know, it, it sets the stage. And in, in, yeah, like when I say, like what I said earlier in the episode that all three of these people are, are terrible, you know, Harmon is the most like sympathetic, but like, instead of he, yeah, he's in love with her and she is like frustrated and disgusted by him because he's an old man because, you know, who'd have thought that the old man was an old man when you married the old man? I don't know. Just throw that out there. Um, just that instead of like trying to find like a practical solution like, as you said, let her go because, uh, evidently in 63 and I, I didn't look up the date, um, you know, a lot of the, um, divorce proceedings were very much favored towards men and the men who had money, you know, like if she's going to do this, you know, let her go because either, you know, if you're in this relationship because you love her, but she doesn't love you, but she wants like, you know, money and things, she's going to run out and and run out of money and things quickly and come back to you, which is not healthy and not good. But like, where's the solution here other than, you know, um, science that is, uh, very questionable. Questionable to the fact that, uh, there's no human testing that's been done yet. So, (laughs) um, so yeah, so we'll go right into that then. Uh, Um, I heard heard you have high, high, uh, hydroxychloroquine. I heard this will help me. It's like, just, you know, just inject it. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no sorry uh 2020 that happened anyway continue <laughs> yeah right i heard if you um, just put a bunch of bleach in your butt you'll get you'll get younger it's fine you know whatever well you'll have a bleached asshole at least yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was that what you're gonna call Harmon a little bit later because maybe we'll find out anyway so all right um 
Yeah. So yeah. So the doctor that is Raymond, and I also want to point out that that work uh, said, "Hey, you need to make him a research scientist as opposed to a medical doctor because they didn't want to run into problems with like, uh, like I don't know, um, like the American Medical Association when this aired. So they had to make a distinct change to be like, he doesn't work on people. Just to be clear." Yeah, I didn't catch that at all. So that's very interesting. And, but it, it, again, you know, like Raymond, it has been working on something and Harmon knows about it. And it's only in this animal testing phase. And apparently it's some kind of youth serum like that. I, to sum it up. It's a it's cellular a serum that can re- re- regenerate organs. Uh, you know, they brought back like cellular structures and it has made animals younger. And it made... It, it made Captain America, right? Yes. Same shit. Yeah, it's pretty much, uh, you know, Dr. Erskine's in there and the Vita Rays. Yeah, that's exactly what this is. Okay, cool. So, uh, so Raymond, uh, it's like, yeah, you know, we're, we've been working on this stuff, but it, you're crazy to think that this is something that you could use because you don't know what it could do to your body. Or mentally, because he's like, you know, the animals don't talk to us, you know? Right. Like, yeah. So that's the, that's only the only kind of testing that they've done. But Harmon has, he's at its wit's end. And you can tell that this is only for the sake of uh, making Flora happy. And Raymond, of course, is not only trying to protect his ass and protect his brother's health by saying, like, dude, you're not going to have it. We're not going to do that. But I think he's also sticking to the floor. Like, even if it did work, like, forget her. Like, why would I want to help her out? Why would I want to make her happy about this? Yeah. So he's, he's strong arming, uh, his brother at this point. Can you just write him like a prescription for like cocaine or something at this point? Be like, here, this will get you moving. Like, you know, you'll have a good time. (laughs) Like, it doesn't matter how old you are. Your heart's going to jump out of your chest. You'll love it. Yeah. Uh, Take an eight ball and call me in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, so like Harmon, he, this is where uh, Raymond's about to roll out, and because he's upset, he he's already told uh, Harmon the business. So Harmon goes to his balcony, and it's it's suggested that maybe he's thinking about suicide because he goes right to the the balcony edge and looks over, and Raymond of course sees this action, and he comes out, and they have a little bit of banter about like how it's not it's not worth it basically and raymond finally has the resolution like all right i'll think about it well yeah because harman's like if you walk out of here um and you're not going to give me this we're going to find out like what hits the ground faster the guy off the building or the guy in the elevator um and you know i understand that Harmon's is wits in but it's like why would you put you know, your brother, like, why would you put anybody in that position of like, if you don't give me this unstable treatment that might kill me, I'm going to kill me anyway. Like that seems like weird to me, but let's rewind that back a second. So Raven was about to walk out the door in a huff and like, he has his, his jacket over his arm and then he just sees his brother walk towards like, like the, like the balcony, like normally this person would be out the door. It just seems weird to me that like, you know, we had uh we had Raymond just staring at his brother. Like I get what that leads to, but the way that scene plays out, it's like he should have already been in the elevator, like going down before his brother even made it to the balcony. You know, that just, that felt odd to me. Yeah. That was kind of poor planning. They probably shouldn't have had that. The, the meat of that discussion be up in that, uh, that little book nook 
Yeah, um, they, they could have brought it down and had them out on the balcony already. I think that would have been fine. Right. So, I mean, but it's, it's so it goes. And, and you yeah. know, they have that conversation. And uh, Raymond returns the next morning. And you've seen that he gives the injection to his brother. And he just tells him, like, you know, you're going to have to you're going to have to rest because we don't know anything about this for like six hours. It, it has been for the, the, the test animals and that like to, to see any kind of results, six hours. But he tells him the rest and that he would come back uh, the next day and check in on him. So it's a it's a very brief scene. There's not much here. Well, I just want to point out. So um, yeah, he says like, call off of work. I'm going to be close to you this entire time. So as much as Raymond's like breaking every, you know, every ethic ethics violation here, right, and doing all this stuff, uh, he still wants to be around the monitor just in case. But there's the bit where um, when Harm is looking in the the mirror, which is the thing I played at the beginning about like I will be younger or whatever. Um, just before Raymond walks out the door, he says something about like, if this doesn't work, I'm taking a pint of blood out of, uh, out of floor for every pint that she's drained out of you. It's like, you, you're the one make, you made this decision. You injected your brother and you're, you're going to blame her for every one of your actions. I had a real problem with that. The dialogue is like, it's great. Cause it's Serling and he makes it like, like about the whole thing of like, I'll get my pound of flesh, but it's like, you keep blaming her. Which, yeah, you're not happy with her. You're not happy with Harmon making his decision. Um, and you're doing this for him. But regardless of the outcome with him, you're absolving him of the results and you're going to blame her for anything negative. That felt, like, really weird to me. It's irritating because uh, he he should be taking a little bit more blame. But, you know, his his veins are filled with, you know piss and vinegar right now for uh not cellular serum for, yeah yeah right uh for for laura like he really wants to make sure if he's doing this for his brother and he knows what his brother's motives are that he's he's going to come back at him against those motives as well so i i mean yeah. i kind of get that the idea that he's pissed and he wants to make sure that you know that he understands his position and why he did this for him. But I just, I, I agree with you. It's like, well, take ownership as well, guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just nuance. I think that's, I think that's the word we're going to use to describe this episode that it's lacking. Uh, just that. And, and Sterling is shown repeatedly that he's capable of it, but he doesn't get like on this, like dialogue train and just like, you know, keeps trucking. That's, that's a mixed metaphor. When he gets on the dialogue train and just runs down the rails, there you go. That's, that's the metaphor. Um, cause sometimes I think he falls in love with like the exchanges and not necessarily like, like, is this really going to serve these characters? I think he just likes that one, two punch of some of the dialogue. Um, I could be wrong. He's long gone and who am I? I've not written anything, but, um, <clears throat> I think you could give him some nuance to, to make the brother come out a little better to have some ownership. And also like, you know, Flora is a gold digger, but it's like, she's not like the ultimate evil. And we're going to get to the end of this episode. Like she, um, the world collapses for her and not, and not Raymond. That seems weird to me as well. Well, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, I did. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so the next morning we, we get, uh, Raymond coming back to check in on, a, on his brother and that, um, uh, we, but the cut scene is to, uh, Flora, uh, drinking coffee and having a cigarette. And she answers the door to Raymond coming up. And he of course asks her like, you know, like what happened? 
how how how's uh how how's my brother doing and that like have you talked to him and she just she's so i don't even say aloof she just doesn't give a shit like she she doesn't want to engage with raymond at all she uh, so the bad blood is on her side too it seems like I mean, um, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I, I fortunately have not had the experience of having to deal with like, uh, with like extended family because I mean, they're brother and sister in law. Where like you, you openly know that you don't like each other, but you're going to have to function around each other sometimes. Like you, you get from the jump that they don't like each other, so it's like she. You're right. She does not care, but it's like they still have to interact. So there's like that kind of like comfortable venom between the both of them. Right, yeah, little jabs here and there, um, but I don't think either one of them really care if it all came out anyway. So <laughs> yeah, um, so you know, after this little bit of banter between the two of them, we do see Harmon come out of the bedroom, and from the get, you see that his hair color has changed. It's it's it, instead of it being gray, which is you know wh- what it was prior to this. It's it's brown, mostly brown at this point. Um, and Flora's like, whoa, what's going on here? Like, who's this handsome man rolling out of my bedroom right now? And he, like, now we get to see his face, and he is clearly quite a bit younger looking. Um, we don't see the wrinkled skin that we had seen in other scenes. And, um, yeah, he's a little bit more vibrant, too. So she asks, like, what are you doing? Like, what happened here? Makeup? What is this? Yeah, so, I thought that's funny. Like the the first time we see him, like with less makeup, like physically, she's like, "Are you wearing makeup?" <laughs> like, no, 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 not so much now. It's all natural, baby. Yeah, right. I, so, I wake um, up beautiful, you know. <laughs> Maybe he's born with it. Um, Maybe it's cellular serum. All right, continue. Uh, so yeah, so um, you know, he he says, "Oh, I feel great. You know, feels awesome. We're gonna go on a trip. We're gonna. I'm gonna take off some." some time from work and I'm going to take you on a cruise like sky's the limit basically. And she's excited. So she sees this energy in him too, along with the, the new great looks that he had had um, probably when they met, which probably wasn't quite this, but either way. Um, but yeah, like she sees this new vibrant dude in front of her. So she's energized. Mm-hmm. So she goes and she, she goes in uh, to get ready to go out on a, hit the town, and um, so Raymond is asking him how he's feeling in that, like, uh, you know, what's going on with you? Like, give me some updates yeah. in that. A million dollars tax free is one of the things he says. I know that, right? And um, we we actually see another change while like this scene is happening. Um, he turns around again and there's even less gray hair. His hair is like completely brown now. Yeah. But like, he kind of like does like, so, uh, Patrick O'Neill, um, like, I think that's the actor's name. Sorry. I, like there's only three people in this. Yeah. You right? got it. Yeah. He does this thing where he kind of like, like, he slouches forward and kind of like, you know, he, he makes himself look a little smaller, like his backs to the camera. Was that, do you think that was like dissimilar to Billy Crystal? Like, like rising his feet in that episode of dark room where he just kind of like slowly moved upward to become like the big strong man. Like, feels like that was kind of the reverse of that. Well, I, I feel it's a fair comparison. I, it, this is like definitely some stage acting. It was uh, fine. It just was like, I, I get the getting the point across. Don't get me wrong. But it was just like, oh, okay. And then, like you said, like he's suddenly even even younger. And uh, Raymond's like, you haven't looked like this since we were kids. You know, like like since we were younger. 
And um, Harmon's actually still on board with this for the moment. Yeah, and this is this whole sequence is only about thirty seconds long. So yeah, whatever's happening in his body, it's happening happening at a rapid pace. Yeah, it's accelerating. And uh, suddenly, while he's still talking to Raymond, um, he it, something comes over him, and he starts to feel like I don't know, nauseous, pain, whatever it is. He's he's uncomfortable. And Raymond tells him, like, hey, let's get you to bed so you can rest whatever this is off. And, and we'll talk about it later. And uh, that's what so, like, Floor comes out already. Right. And then she is like, ask what's going on. And I like that. Um, Raymond keeps like, go to bed, Harmon. You go to bed right now. Like type of thing. I like that. But, yeah, he gets he gets Harmon off to bed. And yeah. So, and then, yeah. yeah. So, so Floor is like dressed to the nine. She's ready to go hit the town. And she doesn't know what had just transpired in the living room, but all she knows is that Raymond's telling her, like, leave him alone, let him rest. We'll see what's going to happen here. So there's no, there's no answers for anything that she's like, she doesn't know about the serum. She doesn't know why this rapid, uh, like change has happened in Harmon, but she's going to listen to the Raymond now. So, Doctor knows best. Put him to bed, and so later on, um, Raymond comes out of the bedroom, and he's essentially telling her, "Like, leave the dude alone. Let him rest. We'll talk about this later." Well, she's she's not she's not cool with that. So she bursts into the bedroom while Raymond's off to the side, and she well, sees. Yeah, what no, is well, yeah, first. But they, let's, let's back that up. He was like, I think it's best you get oriented. And he's like trying to tell her, like, your life's about to change. Like, and she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you know, like you, you need to prepare yourself. And then, yeah, that's when she bursts in the bedroom. And, uh, and what, and what does she see here, Terry? What, what does she find? Uh, she sees a extremely young husband now in the bed. <laughs> <laughs> her, <laughs> extremely, extremely young. Uh, I would I would put this child at the age of like two to three years old. Maybe, yeah. So, uh, yeah, his uh, Harmon's change has taken him all the way down to a like a toddler, basically. My question for you is: when we first see him, he has uh, shoes on. Where did those shoes come from? Like those tiny shoes. I know that was a bad, that was a bad shot. <laughs> you could just take the shoes off. Like you don't have to be like, what did you, did some of the serum spill on your shoes and they've been aging with them? De-aging anyway. Yeah. That was like the very first shot. And I was like, come on guys. Like seriously, you didn't see that in post. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, uh, yeah. So yeah, uh, now she's married to a child, which is extremely <laughs> weird. <laughs> oh man. So, but like, so what goes on from there is like, um, we got Raymond just like piling on saying, Hey, you know, from this point forward, you know, you like basically saying the tables have turned and you know, you're now older than him and you're going to raise him like from being a kid and you're going to be his, like what he needs and, and all this stuff. And like, and she's like, well, I'm going to leave. He's like, if you leave, you'll lose everything. And she, and basically like, that's the stringer pulls her in. My question to you is I understand like, um, divorce laws were pretty strong back then in favor of the man. Um, wouldn't the judge be like, that is a child, but where is Harmon? Like, 
he is now a missing persons and you now have this child like they like I don't think any court would um would recognize like you know what I mean like I think they would just like file missing persons and eventually she would get the estate right and there's no DNA evidence that could be at that time no either no you're right so you know it's like it's it's super frustrating to watch a scene play out because you you're thinking all of that while watching this be like what what is what is Raymond gonna do right let's stop her but he doesn't have ownership over his brother's estate either you know, like, right. I mean, maybe the laws there, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking the legal side of this, that should not apply to a sci-fi show where someone take youth serum and they become a baby. I get it. But it, but basically, uh, Raymond's putting this, this person that felt they were in this gilded cage into a much more, um, you know, um, not so gilded and rusty cage, you know, there you go. Soundgarden, uh, to like, you're stuck with this, raising this child that is now your husband. And as he gets older, you're going to get older. It's like the tables are going to turn to where when he finally is like, you know, of, you know, of marrying age, you're going to be like, you know, a, a spinster. That's the notion I get from this. Yeah. It, it's, it's creepy as hell because like you to play that stuff out in your mind, you're like, all right, what scenarios are going to play out after this fact? And you're like, yeah, no, I don't, no. I don't want to even think about nope. it, but there's a lot of questions that do not need answers. That's all to say that close, close that trunk up and just shove it away. Yeah, most definitely. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, I feel like she's so easy to be persuaded by Raymond's, uh, I guess threats really, I guess that's the best way to put it. But uh, I, I see too many similarities to this episode and Uncle Simon, <laughs> especially yeah. in this scenario. I almost wrote Baby Simon in my notes. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, again, she's like being strong armed into this. I, 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 I hate to say it. I know there's probably a lot of our listeners that have children and that it's a, like a purgitude. Like, no, I feel like this, like the, 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 the disproportionate, both, both the, 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 the girl and uncle Simon, the niece and her, I believe they're being disproportionately punished, um, by what's going on. I'm not saying that they don't deserve some of this because clearly in this case, Flora is a gold digger and she was trying to like live her best life, like sucking the life out of this dude. But it's like, I still feel like Raymond's put her over a barrel. That is like it. I don't know if that necessarily fits. I don't think that balances out in my head, especially for as much, um, lack of ownerships he's taking for his, his medical experiments gone awry. Yeah. And and that's what we were talking about prior. It's yeah. like this dude should acknowledge that he just, he just screwed up too. Like you, not, you don't have the same type of relationship with your brother. Like you had before guy like yeah remember that it's <laughs> like seriously you'll be dead before he's like uh, uh, of even remote age that you remember him you know yeah it's just like i, I think this is one of those ones that um that something was going for like the humdinger of an ending which it is you know it's like oh that, that that's a baby in there you know and it's like also i like that um <laughs> that Raymond's so confident that the serum is done. It's like, I don't know. Did you walk back in and just find like an embryonic mess? Like a second later, like what, where where we're going to like, this is the Benjamin button syndrome, right? Like what's to say, you know, but anyway, I just, 
I don't like that Raymond put it all on her whenever it's, it's a decision he actively made. I just, there some, the character motivations for this, this does not necessarily feel like, um, the sinner getting punished for the sin, which it is. But I think, um, I think Raymond's being let off the hook, which is, I have a problem with this. I feel like she could have turned around and been like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to tell all, all of science what you did. So we're going to raise this kid together. That would have been something that, that yeah. could have been a, a little stinger at the end. I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's an interesting episode, but I think this one was kind of dialed in as well. Yeah. So, yeah. So there we go. That's um, so I'll also say though I do like uh, the, the symmetry of the episode in the sense of when we first see Flora, like dancing and like, you know, drinking and being pissed off at being stuck in this apartment and the life that she's living and like, it's like this, like we like rebellion type of thing. And then the last shot of her is like desperation, but now she's stuck in this apartment. Like I thought that was a nice symmetry with the way the episode started and ended regardless of the emotional like impact. No, I agree with you on that one. Yeah. So do you have any other notes about this episode? I got some trivia before we get into like twists and, and such. Twist and such. No. That's the new store that we're going to open. Twist and such. No, I'm right. good, man. Right. Roll that beautiful bean footage. That, roll, roll that wonderful twist footage. All right. So, uh, yeah. Uh, the music that Flora is dancing at the, the two at the beginning of the episode, this is what the trivia says. I didn't go back and verify because I'm a hack and a fraud. It's supposedly the same stock music that was played at the end of the episode Walking Distance whenever the gentleman walks into the ice cream parlor and all the kids are dancing to, like, the jukebox that's kind of fun. That's also an episode about like going home again. So that kind of, that's kind of fitting. Um, so I mentioned previously this episode because of a lawsuit filed someone claiming they had the idea of, I don't know, people growing younger fountain of youth, whatever. So this wasn't included in syndication package until 84 when this and other long unseen episodes became available, including miniature, uh, there was a series of short reductions. So there was like this, like lost episodes thing that was aired in like the eighties on CBS, I believe. Um, so you actually had Patrick O'Neill at that point, like doing a segment and he remarked on how accurately the show's makeup effects, um, were considering he was younger at the time. And then when they were finally released the episode in the 84, um, he talked about how they kind of got it right. So that's kind of cool that they, he felt that the, 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 the age makeup actually was accurate to what happened to him later. So that's kind of cool. Um, and now I have a quote from, uh, uh, from uh, Ruta Lee. So you're going to like this. This is from the Twilight Zone Encyclopedia. Uh, it's, it, yeah, so here we go. <clears throat> uh, Ruta Lee, I, I was one of the prime leading ladies in television at that time, but I have to tell you, the Twilight Zone really stood out for me for quite a few reasons. First of all, the role was such fun. Bitches are such fun to play, and she was such a lively little bitch. I really <laughs> liked her a lot. <laughs> Credit, credit where's credit's due, right? So uh, one of the nice things that happened on set with uh, Barney uh, Gerard, who was a wonderful director, let me do some slightly wilder things that than what people would normally do. The, the little dance sequence wasn't just the twist. It was really uh, carrying on. And during one of those scenes, you know how the grips and the guys who are doing the lighting lean, lean over the rails and watch what's going on and keep quiet? 
So during one of those scenes, there's a bunch of dudes watching this really attractive woman dance. Like that's why they're keeping quiet. Come on, let's be honest. Um, <clears throat> so during one of those scenes, a great big, a huge burst of applause came at the end. Uh, I was dumbfounded because I didn't expect anything like that. I later discovered when the guys came down from the rafters, they said, we love having you on set, really attractive blonde woman. Uh, and we love watching you work because you remind us of our favorite uh, at MGM, Carol Lombard. That was pretty wonderful. So like, yeah, like she had fun. The director let her go a little wild and all the dudes are like, we're up top looking down at this woman uh, dancing. And then we all applauded when she was done dancing. Yeah. Okay. So guys, <laughs> be, yeah. Did you know, I, did you know in 63 uh, guys were excited to work on a set in which a woman was dancing wildly and they got to watch her? Bunch of animals. <laughs> so. But I just like her. I like her direct quote about uh, bitches are such fun to play. And she was such a lively little bitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, that's amazing to me. I thought that was a fun quote. Well, I'm glad she leaned hard into this because she definitely sold it. Uh, I Maybe she's a terrific person in real life, but she just she was uncomfortable watching certain certain scenes. So it's like she did her job. I yeah. really loves you. He really loves you, but yeah, but, yeah, but no, super attractive. Like her eyes are amazing in this. And some of the, like, some of the things that she says at one point, um, she says to Raymond about like, uh, like she says something about blow it or whatever. And, it, and like the line originally was supposed to read, blow it out of your, um, your black bag, like his medical bag. And they're like, you got to cut that part of that line. I'm like, I don't understand that still, but they're like, you got to cut part of that. So yeah, she had some good lines that we didn't even get into. So she had, she had the best choice, like insulting dialogue in this episode. Um, so I, I liked her performance, not a good person. Raymond's not a good person. And I'd still also argue that Harmon's not a good person either because of one, the sacrifices he was like willing to make for, for love, where as opposed to him, like standing up. Right. And also forcing his brother to, to make an, like an, like an unwinnable choice. I mean, his brother could have said no and then like flipped a coin about whether or not like his older, older brother is going to throw himself out a window, which in that case, I th still think she would have gotten some money. I don't know. Well, yeah, I, I mean, you know, as much as he loved her, he, she was probably like a hundred percent invested into his, uh, his will and everything. Right. So. I mean, if you're gonna get the hooks in, get all the paperwork right too. So Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for um, our, our uh, trivia uh, and, and notes about the episode. So let's just uh, let's just rate that twist. <laughs> My twist is that the Fountain of Youth would uh, not like the Fountain of Youth would work as intended because it really did. I put a one. Uh, one. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> a one. They, they, they should have called this episode something else, man. Like I hate when they do that with well did that with certain episodes where it's like there is a red herring here in the title so yeah. i i don't a, a particular kind of was a a kind of stopwatch you know like there's this things it's like don't call attention to like you know what's in front right i mean sterling's trying to be clever but eh, you said the word fountain like we we know where this is going just you know yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy the episode for the most part, but uh, for for me, the, watching it the second time will probably be the last time. It's not a very. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I mean that in in the most pure fact, like it, it's uh, it. There's no there's no fun in this episode. 
Um, it, it wasn't all too surprising. I think I think it's a very surface level uh, storyline. I, I think that just about any high schooler could probably write this storyline. So yeah, fair enough. Um, I'm, again, this is not one of my favorites, it, it, but I mean, it moves along in a decent enough clip in terms of like, oh, once we get to like the de aging, it's like it's just boom, 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 boom. Um, so that that's you know, I guess that's good and bad. Um, yeah, it, it's. Um, I'm just going to say this is a lot of missed opportunities. Uh, and, but I also have to ask myself, um, because I'm judging this in the shadow of the previous four seasons, if this was an earlier season episode, would I feel the same way about it? And I think I would, because I mean, just, I feel like, um, like I'm not trying to be like, oh, there's so much better earlier. It's like, we know what, we know what Sterling is capable of. And again, I'm going to use the word nuance here. I think that if he would have like given us some more character nuance, this could have stuck it a lot better. But there, I feel like he's in this like this weird like uh, like lane of like, can I just write terrible things towards terrible people and punish everybody? It just I, I know that probably wasn't intended in terms of the air order, like the episode airing order, because um, the assassination of Kennedy kind of messed up some of that. But it's like it just feels like he got into like this mean streak, and I don't know if I like that. I can see that. I mean, there are some really rotten characters in these episodes. Yeah. So, all right. That's going to do it for our discussion about a short drink from a certain fountain. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you guys can find us on our, our Facebook. Uh, it's a, it's a strange highway. So you can email us directly at strange highways podcast, uh, wherever you find your podcast, uh, rate and review us. And, and Terry, you, you got some other social media stuff that we're doing too. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we're on Instagram these days, so check us out on there. Uh, we try to update as quickly as possible. Sometimes uh, you get what I'm doing and uh, you get bogged up with work and you have to update everything on, on the same day. So, yeah. But uh, Have you thought about taking a cellular serum just to get some pep in your step? Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to find the right uh, balance. You know, <laughs> vitamin D complex. It, it does wonders. <laughs> We're going to just find out it was just a bunch of ginkgo coloba, whatever, whatever that is. Like, I don't know. Like it's like, vitamin C is what did this. No. Um, but also, uh, you, yeah, you said you're, we're on Instagram and also where else were we at? I know you, uh, you got us recently on Spotify. Oh, we are on Spotify. So you can follow us on there. I, I'm not sure how that algorithm works out, but, uh, you know, it does build something. People find <laughs> out about us. I, you know, things happen pieces fit together um so maybe other people might listen to us uh, it, it I might, don't think it might it, take, take six hours for us to see the first effect but yes please yeah i don't i don't think there's a rating system on there i've never seen one but yeah uh follow us on spotify um rate and review us like uh, paul said on any other uh uh server that you you use you know if it is stitcher like please rate and review us yeah. uh, we'd love all the feedback that too. And also like, if you guys enjoying the show, the more, the merrier, um, we have some plans for after season five, which I know where it's still like months out, but we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Um, but also in the meantime, Terry, you have something else to promote. I'm going to put you on the spot. All right, cool. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought this up. Uh, just recently on John Carpenter's birthday, uh, I was a guest on a podcast called at the devil's ball. Um, my, my friend, uh, Sam Isle, and Nathaniel invited me on to talk about John Carpenter's classic, The Thing. So please check out At the Devil's Ball. Give them some love. 
they got some good stuff going on over there. Pure love for movies and that, uh, and it it's a great podcast. And they're two very intelligent individuals, and I had a blast being on the show. So the thing, what what I, I'm not familiar with that movie. I'm just kidding. I know. <laughs> Oh, the um, thing about the thing. The thing. The, here's the thing about the thing. No, uh, yeah. Listen to the episode. It's quite fun. You guys should check it out at the Devil's Ball. Um, I'd been on there previously, and they're like, you know what? You're okay, but we need to get Terry on here. We need to get that sex appeal. And I'm like, I don't blame you. So go check that out. So, all right. Um, before we're out, uh, next episode of the Twilight Zone we're covering is called "90 Years Without Slumbering." Ninety years without slumbering. That's what I'm saying. Uh, we're gonna let uh, Serling uh, tease that. And now. Mr. Serling. Next time a new author joins the ranks of the elves and gremlins who supply the imaginative material on the Twilight Zone. His name is Richard DeRoy and his story is in the best tradition of the program. It stars one of the gentlest and certainly the most able of America's actors, a beloved little fixture on the American scene named Ed Wynn. Next time out on the Twilight Zone, Ed Wynn stars in 90 Years Without Slumbering. There we go. So we're going to get into that. Not seen it. Uh, Edwin, um, we're going to talk about him. He was like on one of the very first episodes of the, of the series. So this will be fun to revisit him and his performances. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be an interesting one. Um, uh, I, this is one that I've been circling for a bit. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, that's going to do it for us this week. A short drink from a certain fountain uh, next week, 90 years without slumbering. Uh, have a good week. Have a safe week. And I don't know, like, just don't put random shit in your body without it being tested on humans first. That seems pretty obvious to me. Uh, and be careful who you fall in love with, I guess. Be careful, Big Daddy, because if you ever take me to a swinging weekend in Egypt, I just may run away with a mummy. Terry is still Big Daddy. I'll just say that. <laughs>